Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, you're very responsive. I love this church. It's just a great place to be. Uh, thank God because of you. You're just, it's just an uh, amazing place. Amazing place. Well, let's, uh, let's get cracking, shall we? It's, it's, um, this, as John said, it's a new series called Transformed. And one of the things you see regularly, uh, this phrase that comes up, that, and this is why we exist, is to see ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. That's our mission statement. That's, what we, that's why we're here. That's the point of what we're about. And so you see it on some of our literature, and you see it on the screen at times, and you, re- you see this repeatedly, and it's because it reminds us this is what we're about. And I know we can take things for granted, but this is what we're about. This is why we're here. And... Um, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, Peter and John have been involved with the healing of this man who had been crippled since birth. And they're hauled before the religious leaders and authorities, asking them what they're doing and who gives them the authority to do it. And, uh, and, they, and this is what they, they said. Um, And Luke writes this because he writes the book of Acts. He says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that they had been with Jesus. That's the line. They had been with Jesus. That is the key. So through this series, we'll look at where people in the New Testament have regularly encountered Jesus. People that are transformed, uh, restored, and equipped for a new life in Christ. And will cover matters that, that are common to all of us. So we will cover things like despair, disappointments, fear, doubt, failure, purpose. You know, these things are, this is common life. And so it's great to come into and, and address these uh, perspectives. Well, the best place to start is, which is probably the most famous conversion in history, uh, Acts chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, I always encourage people to open them so you know where things are at. And do you know what? You might even put a line in there and go, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember that. You might do that. And if you haven't got a Bible, the words will come up on the screen as you can already see. We're going to do verses 1 to 20. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, so that was the, that was the name of the movement of these new Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. 
The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. I, I like that bit because it's as if God doesn't know. You know, this is very interesting. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias, Ananias went to the house, and he entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with his disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. That's great, isn't it? Such an impact that passage has on us. Actually, we get a brief introduction to Saul um, earlier when Stephen, who's a follower of Jesus... He's murdered. And, the, in the, and you find that at the end of chapter 7. And then you come into chapter 8 and the first line reads, And Saul was there giving approval to his death. So as this follower of Jesus lies in this bloodied heap with bloodied stones all around his body, Saul's there. Luke makes the point, Saul is there. And then you get chapter 8, and great things going on in chapter 8, and then Luke refers us back and returns to Saul here in chapter 9. And notice the language. Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Actually, it doesn't say that. You think, wow, I thought it did. No, it says he still breathing out murderous threats. I mean, this man is explosive. I mean, talk about intense. I mean, you know what it's like, don't you, when you stand with somebody and they're incredibly intense. Well, this man is incredibly intense. He's like a 
dragon breathing out fire, the sheer ferocity and, and uh, intense hostility towards Christians, it almost singes the pages of your New Testament here. And, and he, he is not going to let this go. And he's going to destroy this movement. I mean, this is a man on a mission. I mean, he, and he's not waiting either. He's taking the initiative. He has letters of authority from the high priest to the synagogue in, in, in Damascus. And then you, you might ask, oh, why Damascus? Well, actually, there were large settlements of Jews there. And it's a very, very ancient city. So you'll, find about, you'll, you'll hear about uh, Damascus way back in Abraham's time. And we know there was a large settlement because during the reign of Nero, which is 30 years later, there's about there's 10,000 Jews that were killed by Nero's hands. So Saul is taking this 150-mile journey to Damascus because there are evidently Jews that have been seduced by this gospel, this movement called the Way. He's going to round them up, take them captive take them to Jerusalem so he's not waiting for something to happen he's making something happen now I mentioned before that in the earlier that it's probably the most famous conversion in history now that very word conversion it's probably it might be even more better if I said word convert makes people feel uncomfortable and in the last 10 20 30 years I've sensed that word convert makes people feel uncomfortable. It's perceived as uh, perhaps as narrow-minded or um, primitive. Even wrong. You know, it's wrong to convert somebody. And that that may be the question, well, do I have to be converted? Do I have to be converted? As a Christian, do I have to be converted? And I, I want to answer that as simply as possible. Yes. Okay. That simple, isn't it? Okay, you got it? Yes, you do. Jesus said you must be born again. Not modified. You must be born again. Converted. In conversation, you know, we, we turn. Sorry, in conversion, we, we turn and, and we put our trust in Jesus Christ. That's what we do. And then... God, in turn, does the new birth. That's what he does. Because you cannot do that. And I, I remember my first prayer. Do you know, you might be here and you're thinking, and you might have been thinking about conversion. Do I, do I need to be converted? Do I need to do, I need to do this? And that, the answer is yes. You do. And, and maybe it's today. Because I remember my first day... And the person I was talking to, I had all these questions and he didn't answer half of them, to be honest. But I, I just had a sniff, God was real. This God was real, you know, I just sort of knew, really. But I, I didn't have all my questions answered. And he, then he said, um, why don't you pray? I, I didn't know how to start. I mean, I, 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 I didn't know, how do you pray? I, I'd never done this before. I don't know if this has ever happened to you when you're first, I can't, marks out of 10, minus one, you know, I just thought, I can't even remember what I said. 
I think I was sorry about something, but it was, was, you know, even now as I'm telling you, I I, I know this is not hardly making sense, but I'm making this this move towards God and I, I wake up the following day and I know God has changed my life. And I, and I just know I, I've been born again. I, know, so I see things differently and I, I experience things differently. And, and God has suddenly changed my life. And I, I did my part. And he does his part. And he does the miracle. Now there's a danger in singling out a conversion. So we read this in Acts chapter 9 and say, well, this is how it happens you know, last week there were 11 people baptized over three meetings, two sites. I wish I'd been here. I mean, it was just, I, my kids texted me because I asked how it went. and said, It was excellent. They were so buoyed up by it. It was really, really wonderful. You know, unfortunately, I was stuck in Cyprus. <laughs> so, you know, I, and it rained here, didn't it? It rained. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, anyway, so, and, uh, unfortunately, no. But I, I did, thought, oh, I was so pleased to hear what was going on. And um, this is the point. 11 people baptized, and you can be sure of this, every one of their stories would have been different. Every one of their stories would have been different. All different. Some may have been dramatic. Some may have been slow burners. Some may have been very quick. Some may have thought, why did I ever take so long? Others may have said, you know, I was brought up in a Christian home and I, I can't really work out when it was. But it, and sometimes we downplay that. Don't do that, please. Because every new birth is a miracle. Every new birth is a miracle. As dramatic as some are, every new birth is a miracle. They all count. Hallelujah. Amen? They all count. So it, it's really important. So I want to look at three factors uh, of conversion today. Uh, your relationship changes, your thinking changes, your preference changes. So one, one thing I want to make out here, we're not talking fiction. So I re- remember uh, reading ch- children's books, and I, I remember in, they were in color in those days, even in my day, uh, back then when I was a young kid, and, and you saw this flash of light and souls on the floor, and, and you and, and because it was a children's book, I put it to the side of fiction. But it's not fiction. This is a real person, and this really happens. And historically, it's known. And he goes on to take the gospel to the very heart of the Roman Empire. As, such as when you read Philippians, he sends greetings from all the people in Philippi. And then he, you could, he could have stopped there. And then he goes, especially those in Caesar's household. You know, of, of, obviously, he was in prison. And, uh, but in here, they're sending you greetings too. You can see where the gospel's going. It's got such power. So Saul, and sometimes I'll call him Paul, possibly because I'm more familiar with that, because he changed his name later to Paul. And then we read of this bright light and it must be bright because it's midday, being out there in the midday, wow, this light comes. He falls on the floor to the ground. And, and then he asks the fundamental question Who are you, Lord? Who are, who are you, Lord? I wonder, have you, are you at that place where you're asking that question? 
Who are you, Lord? Not who are you. Who are you, Lord? So Saul thought he knew who God was. Uh, like many people, he had concern about it, the God that he wanted. Furthermore, he was sure about it. I had a recent conversations of how people think God should be. I've had a number of these in the, in the last 12 months, quite interesting. One person said to me, Neil, the God I believe, I, I believe in is, is more like an invisible force. Like an invisible force. And, uh, and in fact, actually, it's, it's a line in, well, a variation of that line, invisible force, is in, in David Bennett's book. That this is what he says. You see, he makes this, um, if you've never read this book, it's a war of loves. It's the unexpected story of a gay activist discovering Jesus. If you've read this book, would you just raise your hand? Okay, that's not enough. So I'm just telling you, that is not enough. Get the book. Get the book. You'll find it difficult to put down, and that's the sort of book you like. So get the book. And if you've got the book, or you know somebody's got the book, can I borrow it, please? And don't ask me, because I need this one. But... I can't, anyway, talk to me later. But it's such a good book. It really will challenge you, that's for sure. It definitely challenge you. And he, so he says, this woman asks him if he believes in God. And he says, well, basically, I'm an atheist. But I believe, I believe there's, I believe there's a something, I guess. I like that as something. What's a something, for goodness? What is that? And then he says, I'm a spiritual person. And that's a phrase I've heard a number of times where people say, do you know, I'm quite spiritual. And uh, it's interesting. And, and he goes on to say, and I think I have to be blind to believe there's absolutely nothing behind life. So you see, I've heard variations of this theme uh, three or four times in the last year. And what we're talking about is somebody's constructing a God of their own making. This is, this is my God, in other words. I'm making my God a kind of force, a, a something, which immediately moves you away from a God who's relational. You, you, you know, a force takes you away from a relational God. I, I don't have somebody who I have to come up close with. I don't have that. And, um, or if there is a God... If he's not a force, then he's a God of love, and he accepts everyone. And that love, of course, by the way, is so gooey that there's not an ounce of justice in there at all either. It never enters the equation. It's all forgiveness and no consequences. And even among Christians, I hear... I'm sorry if you said it, but... Well, I'm not. I'm not. I am sorry that you said it, actually. You're going to say what? I prefer the God of the New Testament. What are you, hang on a minute. I pre, somebody says, I prefer the God of the New Testament. As if, well, we've got one God of the Old Testament, and we've got one God of the New Testament. Or, he's got dual personalities going on here. And, uh, you know, he is the same. Isn't that what the Bible says? He is the same. What's the, what's the, how's it go? He's, here's the same God. Oh, I love you guys. That's great. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Well, you, 
You can't be two different types of God, can you? He's the same. The Bible tells us that. So when we construct a God of our own making, that sort of God is never going to change you. And he's never going to transform you. He's not going to do that. Why? Because he's one that you've made. And, and if God is God, then he is going to be bigger than your imaginations. And bigger than how you think. And bigger than your perceptions. If you're merely producing a God who you're happy with, that God will never collide with you like he did with Saul here on this road to Damascus. I remember saying to somebody, and he's very good with me, because I, I, said, um, I said, you're making all these views about God. I said, why don't you go to the Bible and let him be God? This is a bit... You've got to know the bridges that you can do this on. And, and he, he smiled, you know. I said, I, but I said, that's the God of the Bible. Otherwise, you're making one of your own. So make one of your own. He'll never collide with you. And l- look at this. You see, you want to deal, I said, you want to deal with the real God. You want the real God. And look at, look at him. He's so personal. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He, he knows that this, Saul knows that this is way beyond anything he has ever encountered before. Oh my God, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? I sort of know you, but I, I don't know you. So the relationship changes. To be transformed is where God comes after you. And listen, my friends, the real God will challenge you. The real God will offend you. The real God will infuriate you. And he'll love you beyond any measure that you ever expected. That's the real God. You don't tell him how he should be. When I get to, you know, when I get to heaven... I've got, I've got some questions to answer God. And the next president says, yeah, join the queue. I've got some questions to answer God. There isn't going to be a queue. <laughs> what are we, daft or something? There isn't going to be a queue. When we stand before a holy, righteous God, we won't want to say anything. We won't. We might incriminate ourselves in anything that we said. Every mouth will shut, it says. Q? <laughs> Not a chance. This is reducing God to our level. No, we treat the Bible as true. He doesn't move, we move. You move. I'm Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. Now that's the name Saul hated more than any other name. And in his book, A War of Loves, David Bennett wants this conversation with this woman and, uh, who I previously mentioned. And he, he wants to interview her for his magazine or something. So he asks her how she became a finalist for an award. And so she said, do you want the answer you want or do you want the real answer? And he said, oh, I want the real answer, I want the real answer. So she said... Well, God led me to make the film. 
It wasn't what he expected. And he's an incredibly antagonistic towards Christians. I mean, you need to, to know how antagonistic he is, you need to read the book. You get that, don't you? And, so, um, and he thinks, he thinks, please don't mention Jesus. And so he sense, says with a hint of sarcasm, so which God are we talking? Vishnu? Who? Jesus, she says. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. This is his God moment. This is his God moment. Now, don't miss the grace and kindness of God here. It's in that two words. He says, Saul, Saul. That's a very personal greeting in the Hebrew. It's very personal. So you go to Exodus chapter 3 and you've got this burning bush and God says, Moses, Moses. And Genesis 22, when you have this sacrificing of Abraham's son, Abraham, Abraham. Samuel, Samuel. There's Mary and Martha, isn't it? Martha, Martha. It's very personal. And there it is in Matthew 23. Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks. Wow. It's deeply personal, Saul, Saul. It is so shocking. It's outrageous that Jesus would be so personal to him. And then he says, now get up and you'll be told what to do. Saul comes as one who leads and is now being led. He comes with instructions and now he's being instructed and you'll be told what to do. Three days without sight. You know, why the blindness? Uh, I... This is, we've only known that if you put your hands over your eyes, what is that like? Uh, it's just a terrible thing. And how people cope with that, I don't know. But he has time to think in these three days because he's not going anywhere and he's not going to do anything. He can't see, he can only think. It's three days in darkness and he's rethinking his entire understanding of God. Ananias is told to go to him. Why? Because he is praying. He is praying. He rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Why? Because this Messiah was, the Messiah was blessed by God. But, but this Jesus was, was cursed and abandoned on a cross. However, as Jesus has been raised to life. Well, surely then, if he was raised to life, he's been vindicated by God. And his suffering couldn't have been for him because he was perfect. It must have been for others. And, and he knew the scriptures. He wouldn't have to read this. He would know this. Such a Pharisee was this man. He, he knew it. In Isaiah 53, it says, the punishment that brought the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. 
Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah talks of a strong king and a suffering servant. Paul's thinking has changed. He's thinking through the truth of the Bible. It's Jeremiah who speaks about God writing his law into our hearts, not just our heads. And then he's thinking, I'll put, Ezekiel says about a new heart and a new spirit. I get a new heart and new spirit in you. Tim Keller writes this, he says, the, the gospel not only saves you, but then, and please hear this, this is about transformation, but then every part of your heart and mind has to be transformed bit by bit, believing and applying the gospel. To be a Christian is not only a personal encounter, like a one-off, no. It's a whole change of life and it's a whole change of thinking. Your thinking affects your life. The way you react to people, the way you speak to people, the manner in which you handle your job, your thinking is key to you. It's the railway track on which the train of your life runs. Here's me. And, um, and this is without God. And my wife and I get married. And it's not easy. I mean, it's just not easy here. And, and I go into marriage, and I'm ashamed to say it, but I go into marriage thinking, you know what? This doesn't work out. I can always get divorced. And this, I'm ashamed to say that's how I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I can always get divorced, you know. And, um, and, and again, God speaks to me. And I haven't read Ephesians 5 where it talks about the husband loving the wife. And, and I haven't got a concept of marriage and all the rest of it. But then God speaks to me separately. I can see myself walking around the garden in the back of a house. And, um, and I've, God speaks to me and says, uh, don't you ever think like that. You stop thinking about that. You made promises to that. And, and it sort of unfolded it, and I realized that I saw marriage, and worse still, I saw my wife as some sort of commodity, like a Marks and Spencer's product that I could buy one day, and hey, do you know what? This isn't working. Here, I want my money back. Well, what sort of, what sort of thinking is that? And God caught me out on it right early on, just a few days after I turned to him and, and become a Christian. Change your thinking, Neil. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? That this, that somebody's a commodity. What is that? Well, what's going to shape your thinking? We renew our mind in God's word. You bring your thinking in line with the gospel. You have to think right. That's just a couple of moments. Let me take a couple of things, instances. Okay, so a first one would be like suffering, for instance. So we, we, it's common to all. We illness or tragic loss. And without the gospel, my way of thinking could be, you know, there's something just wrong with me, and it's all my fault. It's all my fault. Even, even as Christians, I, I picked up, Christians think they're being punished. But the gospel... But the, they're being punished. But the gospel tells me 
that Jesus, who lived a perfect life, suffered. And that I'm not exempt from suffering, that's one thing. But furthermore, he was punished for my sins. And what's more, it was paid in full. So why does he need to punish me? Does that make sense to you? See? You get your, line in, your head in line with the gospel. The Bible says that God is for us. And as if to underline it, he goes, and what? Not against us. It's for us, not against us. Think right. Otherwise, you'll believe a lie. You will, you'll believe a lie. You know that God is out to trash you at every opportunity. No, God is for us, not against us. Punishment, he's out to punish you. Isn't the punishment of a perfect Jesus enough? Of course it is. Think right. It's the truth that sets us free. In Galatians, we read that Paul has to correct Peter because uh, Peter has slipped into this Jewish way of life which he'd slipped out of because he'd become a Christian and now he slips into it where he segregates himself from Gentiles, non-Jews. So he, you find that he has segregated himself because this is what Jews did. And so Paul speaks to him. But what he doesn't say is, you are breaking the no racist rule here. He doesn't say that. He tells him that he's living that the way he's living is not in line with the gospel. You know, it's uh, Genesis 12, isn't it? All nations will be blessed. Get in line with the gospel. Get your thinking in line with the gospel. Your relationship changes, your thinking changes, and very briefly, your purpose changes. The gospel changes everything, my friends. I mean everything. So Paul's eyes are physically opened, spiritually opened. He's filled with the spirit. He doesn't hang around. He gets baptized and at once begins to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. He goes with religious authority and he comes back with godly authority. Big difference. He goes breathing out threats. He returns speaking out hope and grace. His mission was to imprison and now it is to set people free. Hey, that's a different direction of life, isn't it? A completely different direction of life. He knew about Jesus. Now he knows Jesus. His whole direction in life has changed. His life is transformed. Let's go back to the Keller quote. The gospel not only saves you, not only saves you, but then every part of your heart and mind has to be transformed bit by bit by believing and applying the gospel. My friends, you've got to keep coming to this and keep coming to this. It transformed you. At another church, a friend of mine, was, um, he became a Christian. He was good at making money, really good at making money. And then partway through, he, he wants to be able to give a million pounds to the work of the kingdom. So he sets the course of his life to make money with a view that a million pounds is going to the kingdom. And he does. His whole reason for making money has changed. And now, he wants that to go into the work of the kingdom of God. That's a direction change. C.S. Lewis has a character in his book of the series, The Chronicles of Narnia, and her name is Lucy. And she says to Jesus, who is represented as Aslan the lion, she says, you are bigger. And he says, I am not. 
But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Is he bigger for you? Here's the question, is he? Is he bigger for you? Is he bigger this year? Is he getting bigger in your life? There's no holding pattern here. We don't stay in middle ground. We either drift or we grow. There's no middle ground. So is he getting bigger? You've got to set your face towards Jesus. Or did it all stop when you first became a Christian or when you got filled with the Spirit? No, is, I'm quite, is he getting bigger? Is it transforming your life? You know, we have this vision here at King's about uh, surrounding and saturating the town of High Wycombe with, with the love of God. How do you do that? You do that with big people who've been transformed by the love of God themselves. That's how you do it. That's a big vision in here, I'll tell you. That is a big vision. How do you do it? It's transformed. How are you transformed? By one degree of glory to another. But that doesn't just happen because it's about reflecting his face. It's about being close to him. It's about growing in Christ. That's transformation. Piece by piece. We need Jesus to be bigger in our lives, my friends. Many years later, Paul writes, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider them lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And all God's people went, Amen.